uh, today, I want to actually do something maybe a little bit different and uh, take kind of take on a subject matter that I think we as a society are facing and more than likely you either have, you are, or you will face this issue uh, at some point in your life and maybe repeatedly in your life. And I know that uh, the statistics, uh, what our culture, what the experts tell us in the private sector, the public sector, is that the issue of anxiety, the issue of stress is something that isn't just a kind of a low-grade fever at this point, but has become almost hyperactive in our culture and in our society. And when we look at all the statistics, we look at all of the, uh, you know, kind of uh, the reports that are being done on this, it's not something that's necessarily getting less and less. It's something that's getting more and more in our culture and in our society. And you may have experienced uh, some anxiety, some stress, and, and we recognize that there's a, a spectrum within which we tend to operate. Uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of a low grade. You know, I'm just kind of feeling a little bit anxious. And, and then the other side, uh, there are some very severe anxiety disorders. There's some uh, very severe things, panic attacks and those kinds of things that, that different ones of us face uh, at different seasons and in different ways of our life. But we can all admit that mental health and especially in the arena of anxiety, uh, is really something that's rising and something that's coming to the forefront of the society and the world in which we live. And, and I'm so grateful for experts. I'm so grateful for people that uh, have given themselves to understand how we're wired, how our brains are wired, how we respond to internal and in external, uh, uh, you know, kind of pulses and, and what that produces in us and how we can kind of navigate through all of that. But how many of you know that the Bible, that Jesus himself has some things not just to say about it, but the power to actually help us? And, and recognizing that we live in this kind of a world, I wanted to actually just kind of start um, and just kind of set the tone by reading a few verses of Scripture. And at the end of this talk, what I'm going to do is give us the opportunity while we sing a song to have, uh, we're going to have prayer partners at the front and give us the opportunity to just bring some of those stresses, those anxieties, those fears, those uncertainties, to actually bring them to the foot of the cross, to bring them to Jesus recognizing that he has some answers. He has some things that can help us as we're going to discover this morning in how we handle those things. And, and there's this few verses that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, and, and he said this uh, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. And then look at this. The Lord is near. And I think just even in this atmosphere, as we're just kind of kind of opening up the book, kind of cracking the, the pages open a little bit, just to talk about this subject matter that I think affects all of us in one way or another, or it, or it affects somebody that you know one way or another. What a powerful thought that God is near. God's close by. And Paul continues on and he says this, do not be anxious about anything. Well, Paul, that's easy for you to say. You don't live in Happy Valley, Damascus, Gresham, Portland, Oregon. Are you kidding me? Like you don't live where we live. But he says, don't, don't be anxious for everything. Well, well, how can I do that? That leaves me with almost more questions than answers. And he goes on and he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then here's what happens. 
the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense. And some of you, maybe many of you, have been in that space or that place where, man, the anxiety level and the stress level, like the uncertainty, the fear, you get all worked up. I mean, that circumstance that I find myself in, but in the middle of it, there's a peace that passes all understanding. And it says this. It says that peace, it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so there's a place, there's a space, there's a, an area in which you and I can operate and live, and we're going to discover what that means today, and we can understand a little bit about something that God has in store for us, but it's not just for us, it's in store for the world, the society in which we live, because we are on this collective pursuit to find peace as a culture and as a society, and yet we're, so many of us are left wanting, and Jesus has some answers for us. And so I'm going to unpack a passage of scripture this morning, but I want that just to settle on you this morning, that the Lord is near and that he sees where we're at and that he has something for us this morning, something that can fundamentally transform us, somebody that can, something that can cause us to live from a different place. And so Lord, this morning, we just gather around your word and Lord, we're asking you, Lord Jesus, to Father, just Speak to us this morning from your word. That Lord Jesus, we recognize this is a very real issue. It's a real issue for so many of us. It's a real issue for so many of our coworkers, our friends, our family members, neighbors, Lord, classmates. Lord, it's a very real issue. And Lord, we recognize this morning as we approach your word, your word never returns unto you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. It's a sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord Jesus, it has the ability to pierce our hearts, to get to those areas of our lives, Lord Jesus, that we don't even understand. But Lord Jesus, as we submit to it, as we come under its authority, Lord Jesus, we recognize that it can transform us. It can change us. And it can give us, Father God, hope to live this life with peace, even in the midst of anxiety and uncertainty. In the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So um, uh, privilege or the opportunity just to be human for a minute. You know, sometimes you guys look at pastors on the stage and you think we've got it all figured out. Especially Pastor Aaron. He's got it. He's Pastor Jeff, Pastor Dave. Like we've got, but we're human beings, right, Aaron? You and I, we're human beings. And, and recognizing that, you know, man, we, we too go through struggles. In fact, I go through my own struggles, my own challenges, my own difficulties, even as a pastor. And, and one of the areas that I have kind of wrestled with in my own life, um, and uh, part of it's my personality, part of it, I don't know where any and all of it comes from, but just at, in a moment of kind of transparency and just kind of my own life, you know, recognizing that I myself deal with anxiety and stress. Now, I'm told uh, by some of the experts, those that have read the book or searched something on the web, um, that I'm a counter six on the Enneagram scale. How many of you are familiar with the Enneagram scale, right? Some of you think, man, that's just an extension of the Word of God, and some of you think it's demonic, right? Like, it's like, you know, and then there's everything in between. But, but, 
people with my kind of personality kind of deal with uh, kind of stress or fear and anxiety. And, and so that has shown up in different, I kind of probably live with a low-grade kind of anxiety just all the time, you know? Uh, I'm always like, worst case scenario, you know? Which is good in some situations, right? Which tells us that anxiety isn't always bad, right? That anxiety is something that can actually help us out in moments. But, but I realized that like, even this morning, as I was driving here this morning, my heart's pick, my heartbeat's picking up, you know? Anybody ever had that feeling where like the, the, the blood kind of feels like it just drains out of your body and you're kind of like weak and empty, you know? It's like, man, I just, I was like, I was feeling that this morning. Because sometimes, you know, kind of being in this place and this space and like public speaking is human beings like greatest fear, right? So I get to, ha- get to do that most weeks, right? Um, but not only that, I get to do it um, where I actually have to open up the word of God and hopefully say something to you that's meaningful, something that doesn't violate God's word, theology, right? Like I want to try and get this thing right. And so there's a high degree of anxiety that, and just in my world, I just kind of live with and part of my personality that I kind of live with. And at times in my journey that has ended me up at the doctor's office, you know, hooked up to an EKG machine, you know, because I swear I'm having a heart attack. Anybody ever been there? Just me, just me. Okay, good. Oh, there's a few of you. That's good. And of course, you go to the doctor, and the doctor, he goes, yeah, you're good. Your blood pressure's good. Your heart's good. Everything's great. Well, then why am I feeling like I'm having a heart attack right now, right? And, and, and so I realized that just, man, I'm not the only one that deals with kind of anxiety, deals with uh, kind of, how do I face this uncertainty? How do I face these emotions? And, and we'll talk a little bit about the emotions and anxiety in a minute, but how do we face that challenge? And I think one of the challenges with anxiety uh, is that oftentimes it doesn't make sense. Like, it's very real, but it doesn't oftentimes make sense. Now, let me, let me illustrate. How many of you um, are scared of snakes? Anybody? Okay. So the fact that I just talked about snakes, you're starting to sweat a little bit. You're maybe even starting to think that maybe there might be snakes in the... You know, snake, you know, so there's snakes on planes, there might be snakes in church, they might be under the, right? Like there's an, a rising level of kind of anxiety. Well, where does that come from? It's like it doesn't make sense because there's probably not kind of snakes, I don't think, in our church, right? But there's this kind of rising sense of or anxiety or stress that there might be. Right? And so it's challenging sometimes for us when we start to talk about anxiety. Like, where does that come from? How do I explain it? It doesn't oftentimes make sense. And the reality is that anxiety, like many of our emotions, comes from the part of our brain that isn't the intellectual part, but comes from the part of our brain that's the survival part. Which is why when I mentioned snakes, you immediately go into survival mode. Some of you kind of started to kind of maybe move your feet up a little bit, you know, kind of, right? Because anxiety and emotions come from the survival or the emotional part of your brain. Your brain is made up of the intellect, but it's also made up of emotions. And so it's, it's complicated. I'm so grateful for people who have done tons of research on this. But, but understanding anxiety is a real challenge because oftentimes it's hard to explain. And then Paul comes along and says, be anxious for nothing. I'm like, Paul, like, is that even possible in the world in which we live? Right? 
shootings and economy, politics, right? Uh, right uh, div- uh, divisions, right? And that doesn't even begin to get into our personal world. In fact, experts are telling us that Gen Z, that's our high schoolers up through the mid-20s, and Pastor Laura could talk to you all day about this. She's out in Sandy preaching this message there. But, but Jen, they're saying that Gen Z is the generation, I believe it's a tremendous generation that God's got his hand upon, that there are Daniels and Esthers that are gonna get raised up through that generation. They're gonna change the world. That's my belief. But I recognize, and experts are telling us, that they are the most stressed out, most anxious generation that humanity or that America has ever had. And, and, and they de- deal with and wrestle with things, you know, like, will I graduate, right? Should I go to college? If I go to college, am I going to have debt? Will I get a job to pay off my debt? Should I get married? Will I marry a psycho? I've seen some psycho marriages. If I marry that person, they might turn me into a psycho. <laughs> stressed out and anxious. And we recognize we live in a culture, we live in a society that is experiencing anxiety and stress, mental health type issues at, 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 an, at a rate that you and I have never ever seen before. And the reality is that the Bible has something to say about it. In fact, there's this little verse found in Psalm 139 verse 23, and it says this, God knows my anxious thoughts. Some of you just need to let that settle upon you for a minute. Because sometimes our anxious thoughts don't make sense to us. And and I'm here to tell you that you're not the only one having anxious thoughts. But the other thing that I'm here to tell you is that there is a God who knows your anxious thoughts. And as we've already read this morning, he is the one that comes near to be with you, to help you to walk through that with you. And so we need to take a look at this and understand that, that, man, God knows our anxious thoughts. You are not alone. And, and the challenge for us is that oftentimes our feelings, our emotions, and anxiety is one of those emotions, are part of kind of a dashboard in our life. And, and anxiety is, is an emotion, right? It's, it's one of those things that indicates something that's going on in our life beneath the surface or behind the scenes or in the engine compartment of our life. Now, how many of you, how many of you remember learning how to drive? That's good. Did the rest of you not know how to drive? Okay, that's good to know. Uh, I grew up, uh, I actually grew up on, you guys had it easy because you had automatic cars here. How many of you dro- learned to drive on just an automatic, right? That's easy. How many of you learned to drive on a stick shift? Oh, wow. I'm impressed. In Ireland, that's all we have. We only have stick shifts. In fact, just to make it doubly hard for me, because in Ireland, we drive on the other side of the road, right? But my dad and his wisdom bought a car from Europe, which has the steering wheel on the same side that we have it, right? So that left-hand drive. But we drove on the other side of the road in Ireland in these narrow lanes. So if I got stuck behind a tractor, I had to pull the whole way out to see if I could overtake the tractor and come back, right? You guys had it easy here. But how many of you remember when you learn to drive, right? You get in the car, right? You put your seatbelt, make sure mirrors, all that kind of stuff, right? And then you turn, you either push the button, you turn the key, right? Um, some of you, you know, you did the hand crank thing. You're, you were around a long time, right? And you get in there and you start the car, right? Hands on the steering wheel, tan and two, right? And you, you drop the emergency brake, hit the gas, right? And you move forward. 
you start moving. And it was like pretty easy. Well, you know, for some of you, it was a little bit more difficult than others, right? Um, some of you have teenagers that you're, how many have teenagers that you're trying to teach to drive right now? Any? We got a few. Oh my gosh. We got, would you just lay hands on the people around you that are, no, I'm kidding. But you recognize that, but that, that, man, it's pretty easy, but you understand that there are thousands of moving parts. There are thousands of things happening underneath the hood of that car. That there's all of these parts that are working together and you're not even aware of the fact that all of those engine parts are working together to allow you to press the gas and move down the road to get to your favorite coffee shop. And that's the way it should be. Because who wants to know all that stuff? Now, some of you are mechanics and you love to tear stuff apart. We're praying for you. That's just weird if you ask me. But the reality is that, that you only really think about it when there's a problem, don't you? And, and it's when there's a problem, when there's something going on in the engine, that you need some sort of indication that there's a problem, that there's something going on. Well, that's exactly why you have a dashboard in your car, isn't it? Some of you thought they were just pretty lights, you know? Some of you put some duct tape over one of the lights, just it'll maybe go away. Some of you heard fun, some funny noises and turned your radio up a little bit louder, thinking it'll maybe go away. Come on, you're laughing because you've done it. But the reality is that the dashboard in your car is there to alert you, to signal, to indicate that there's something going on that you need to pay attention to. There's rising, or you know, you're, you're overheating your engine. You've got fuel that like, you're almost running on empty, right? Oil pressure is down, right? The water levels in, your, in your, your radiator need to be addressed, right? Like it's warning you of something that's going on beneath the surface. Well, the same is true with your emotions, that your emotions really are the dashboard of your car, of your, uh, of your, of your uh, body. And your body, by the way, includes your brain. And so your body, your brain is processing millions of pieces of sensory information in a split second, right? And, 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 and we're not rationally aware of much of it, like a teeny tiny part of it that I'm rationally aware that all of this is happening. In fact, not only are you processing stuff that's happening around you with your senses, your body's also processing past experiences and how that informs this current experience. And it's doing millions of pieces of calculations and processes going on in your body. And for the most part, you and I are unaware of what's going on. But there are times in our existence, and this is why the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, where something shows up on our dashboard, an emotion shows up that says, hey, you got to pay attention to this. And sometimes that emotion shows up to warn us of something that might cause us, uh, put us in, a, in some harm, and so it warns us, we make adjustments, and we get around it, and we move on. But sometimes there's this light that just kind of seems to stay on. And I think what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning, in the culture in which we live, anxiety is one of those lights that feels like it's staying on. And it's, a, it's one of those things that we're trying to figure out. How do I process this? How do I deal with this? And the Bible has something to say about it. Now, here's our challenge oftentimes with the Bible, is that you and I will oftentimes read the Bible and think that everybody that we're reading about in the Bible has it all figured out. There's only one person in the Bible that has it all figured out. You know his name? Oh, you guys are good. It's always the answer, isn't it? We're in church. Jesus! Yeah. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Jesus! <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the Seahawks. Not really. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes what we do is we read the Bible as if like everybody in the Bible has it all figured out. 
And, and I'm here to tell you that when you actually read some of these heroes of the faith that you read about in the Old Testament, like Elijah dealt with anxiety, right? Peter, he dealt with rejection. Moses dealt with fear. Saul dealt with depression. Ruth dealt with all kinds of fear and uncertainty concerning the future. And don't get me started on Joseph. For goodness sake, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and then ends up being second in command in the world's superpower of the day. Like, what kind of things are going on underneath the hood of their car, right? Underneath the hood of their life, in the engine compartment of their life that are causing these kinds of things? Well, the point is that we oftentimes read the Bible and think everybody's got it figured out. And so if they've got it figured out, somehow we're supposed to have it all figured out and we're supposed to be perfect. And I'm here to tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has given you emotions. God has given you uh, various emotions in your body to help you understand some things that might be going on inside of you. And we ought to pay attention to them. And we ought to understand, well, God, how would you have me respond? How would you, have, how would you interact with me around, as we're talking about this morning, this issue of anxiety? And so what I want to do is I want to unpack a text today, um, and don't, I, get, I get that I'm about halfway through my message, and you're going, really? You're now you're only getting into it? You know, that was all introduction? No, no, no. We'll go through it quickly. But I want you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to read three simple verses. And this is what it says in John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... So here, here are the disciples, right? It's the first day of the week. The disciples, they're together in a room, but the door is locked because they're living in fear, anxiety, uncertainty. What are the Jewish leaders going to do to us? We saw what they just did to Jesus. And it goes on and it says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he goes on and he says this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so to paint the picture, because I think to understand the story, you've got to understand the backdrop. This was after the resurrection or the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what we just celebrated last weekend, Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, these guys were living in the first century. They had just lived through this man, this rabbi, this, this uh, brother, this rescuer, this savior who had come, who had made all of these promises. They'd walked with him for three years. For, they had sensed his presence. They had felt a certain degree of certainty, a certain degree of peace because they were around this person called Jesus. And Jesus had made all kinds of promises, but Jesus ends up on the cross. Jesus ends up willingly giving his life to these Jewish and Roman leaders. And so the, the disciples really weren't living with any kind of expectation that, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. What they were concerned about in the, in the light of the cross and the light of the resurrection that they weren't yet aware of, what they were living with was all kinds of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. What would the, what would the Jewish leaders do to these disciples, these followers of Jesus? Well, when I look at what they just did to Jesus, we ought to live in fear. We ought to be stressed out. We ought to be anxious and feeling a sense of uncertainty. And this is exactly where the disciples were living. Isn't it interesting that in the light of the greatest event in human history, 
where the disciples were abiding and living was in anxiety, fear, stress, and uncertainty. They'd locked the door. They were hiding out. They were concerned about what was going to happen to them. In fact, the disciples' hearts were really gripped with fear and anxiety. And the question is, well, where would they find peace? Now, we live in a world that I think is on a desperate pursuit of peace. It's estimated that some 42 million Americans are dealing with some sort, uh, sorry, adult Americans. That's Americans over the age of 18. The numbers are rising amongst the next generation. But some 42 million Americans, they believe, deal with um, fear and anxiety. Now, when you put that into context, that's one in five Americans. One in five Americans are dealing with stress and anxiety. The World Health Organization tells us that over 300 million uh, people deal with fear, with stress, with anxiety. We've seen a 25% rise in the numbers of people searching, reading, looking for answers about anxiety uh, when you do online searches and purchasing books and looking for materials and all of that kind of stuff. And the point that I'm trying to make you this morning, and you don't need me to tell you all the statistics from society because you probably feel it in and of yourself, is that there is this search for this pursuit of peace. Where do I find peace to counteract the anxiety and the stress that I feel going on in my world? And the challenge is that we live in a society, we live in a culture that really offers us a definition of peace that only perpetuates the problem. The world's definition or society's definition of peace is really a culture that is, has freedom from, the disturbances, from disturbances and tranquility. In other words, the, the world in which we live says we're on this desperate pursuit of peace and what we're looking for is we're looking for a place, a space where I can be totally free from any kind of disturbance, any kind of disruption, that everything will be as it's meant to be, that there will just be tranquility. And my question to us this morning is, well, how is the world going to move us back to a place where, where everything around us, we're seeing it's just getting more and more stress, more and more anxious, more and more hyperactivity and hyperstress going on in the world in which we live. How is the world ever going to get us back to its own definition of peace? And the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that, that the world, the society, the culture in which we live, by its own definition, can't provide the kind of peace that we're looking for because the world can't provide a space and a place that is free of disruption, that is only tranquil, that everything is as it's meant to be. And so that leaves us with the question, well then where is it that we find that kind of peace? society's looking for it. We're looking for it. Where will we find it? Well, the, the world that the disciples lived in, you recognize that they too were going through the same challenges. And there were all kinds of different versions of peace out there. There was the Roman version of peace. And the Roman Empire, by the time the disciples were on the planet, had been in existence for about 200 years. And they had, a, they had given great prosperity to the world. And, and so they were building through prosperity, kind of trying to build this culture of peace. But the way it worked in that particular kingdom or, or that particular empire was that they were building peace that was rooted in violence. In other words, when the Roman Empire showed up, you better shape up 
You better pay homage to Caesar. You better pay taxes to Caesar. You better make sure that your life is subordinated to the Roman Empire. And so they ruled with fear. They ruled with intimidation. They had a fragile peace that was based on fear and power. In the same world that the Jews lived in, or sorry, the the disciples lived in, you had the Jewish version of peace, right? Which was, let's just overthrow the Romans militarily, right? And so, and so they were wanting to, they were believing for a Messiah that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And if we could just get rid of the Roman Empire, we could have peace. And it's into this world that Jesus comes. And Jesus comes offering a different version of peace. In fact, it says in John chapter 14, so the same letter, the same gospel that we just read from out of John 20, go back six chapters, and Jesus made this statement. He said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And so what we recognize is that there is a peace according to Philippians, that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts, that emotional center, our minds. And where does that peace come from? That peace that doesn't make sense, that peace that surpasses our understanding. Well, Jesus makes it really clear. I have come to give you peace, a different kind of peace, not peace as the world gives you. But peace that even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of our stress and our anxiety and our depression, that we can have peace. And so going back to John chapter 20, Jesus shows up with these disciples and he comes into the room and he does something really, really interesting because he he says, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Wait, we thought you were dead. And then he does this really interesting thing. He shows them his wounds. He shows him the scars in his hands. He shows him the piercing in the side. Look what it says in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said this, as he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why is it that Jesus would show these disciples his hands and his side? Well, first of all, Jesus appears to them. He comes into the room and he says, guys, it's me, Jesus. Didn't I say that I would rise from the dead? They could not take my life. I willingly gave my life. And he took the keys, the authority of kingdom, uh, the kingdom of darkness, of death and hell. And he took that authority back and he rose, says that the father raised him from the dead. And so he shows up and announces, he identifies who he is. But in showing him their wounds, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I'm showing you my commitment to you. And the point that I'm simply trying to make this morning is that God's presence is with you. He sees you. He's near to you. He knows your anxious thoughts. And so often we are trying so hard in our own strength to address those things, to try to muddle our way through some very, very complex things that we don't always have the answers to those questions. But I'm here to tell you, and this is what we learned from this little lesson of Jesus showing up with the disciples, is that Jesus shows up and he says, I am with you. That God's presence, his personal presence is with you. I think the reason why he showed them the wounds is because what Jesus was trying to help them understand is that didn't I make you a promise? Didn't I commit to you that I would be with you even to the ends of this age? 
And Jesus shows up and his wounds, the nails in his hand, or the scars in his hands, the scars in his ankles, the piercing of his side, his wounds are evidence to the fact that Jesus said, Jesus fulfilled what he said he would do, that he would be with us. In fact, that's what he said at the end of his time on earth in Matthew 28, verse 20. He says, I am with you even to the end of this age. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were going through the book of Ephesians? Remember we drew those two circles? This age and the age to come. And we talked about how they overlapped and how the age to come had already begun because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it would be consummated when he returned. What age are we currently living in? We are living in this age, aren't we? And it's an age that's filled with brokenness. It's an age that's filled with challenge and trouble and difficulty. And what Jesus promised them is that I will be with you even to the end of this age. How much more evidence do you need that I am with you, that I've committed and fulfilled my promise to you? And so we need to first recognize that God draws near to us in our trouble. Isn't that interesting? The disciples are hanging out, uncertainty, anxiety, fear, locked behind a door, wondering what's going to happen next. And it's Jesus that comes to them in the midst of their trouble. Jesus steps in to rescue each one of us. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that everybody surrounding her was holding a stone, wanting to pass judgment on her, but Jesus steps into the middle of that, into the middle of the mess, into the middle of our mess, and he rescues her. Jesus always steps into the middle of our trouble, our doubt, our uncertainty, our fear. Jesus' presence is always with us. A couple of years ago, um, how many of you just struggle sometimes to get out of bed in the morning? Anybody? Come on, you can be honest, it's church. Um, how many of you struggle to get out of bed in the afternoon? That's a bit of a problem, isn't it? And it really did, it happened to me a, um, a number of years ago where, man, I was just, I don't know why I felt so stressed and so anxious and so just like uncertainty and man, things were just kind of spinning and, you know, kind of almost exhausting and it's like, and, and I just didn't want to get out of bed. The problem was it was two o'clock in the afternoon. And my wife, who, man, just, she's such a strength to me. She's such an encouragement to me. Um, you know, she calls up one of my best friends and says, you better get your butt over here really quick. I can't get my husband out of bed. He's just dealing with depression. He's, he's stressed. He's anxious. And I can't figure out how to get through, you know. And uh, my best buddy, Ranji, um, shows up. And um, as good buddies do, he says, hey, get your butt out of bed. Uh, we're going to go get some great food and shop for clothes. I was like, yes. I like shopping for clothes. And what I discovered in that moment is that oftentimes the presence of Jesus shows up through the presence of another human being, doesn't it? We need each other. In fact, your brain is wired not just so that you can get through life on your own. Your brain is wired in such a way that you need, we need one another. And so we recognize that, that through this story, what we recognize is that God fulfills his promise to be with you. He's near to you. He knows your anxious thoughts. You're not on your own. And, and what I've oftentimes found is that the Lord 
carries me through those moments that I don't always understand how it doesn't always make sense to me. I can't figure it all out. And especially if you're a guy, you want to figure it all out. You want all the dots to connect. You want all the loose ends to be tied off. And I can't explain that sometimes I just can't explain. I just don't understand. But here's what I know. There's a peace that passes all understanding that will guard my heart and my mind. That God knows my anxious thoughts. And because he knows my anxious thoughts and he has promised to be near me, I'm going to be able to get through this. And oftentimes he puts other people in our worlds to help us through those moments and those seasons. But the second thing that we recognize through this little passage of scripture that we're we're reading is that God's purpose for you remains. He has good plans for you. And sometimes we can feel so stuck, so paralyzed by anxiety and stress and fear. And and God shows up and says, no, I am near to you. I know what you're going through. I am present with you. I'm the one that guards you. I'm the one that lifts you. I'm the one that carries you through all of that kind of stuff. But God doesn't just leave us there on the shelf like somebody that's not of use to him. He actually comes to us and he says, not only am I present with you, not only do I help you through this, but I've actually got a purpose for you. And my purpose for you remains even in the midst of your uncertainty and your anxiety and your stress. And this is what he says to his disciples. He says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The purpose remains. That even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, even though we go through these seasons which don't make sense to us, even though we might be living in a world that's hyper-stressed and hyper-anxious, that there is a God in heaven who sees you, who knows you, who's near to you, who walks with you, who guards your hearts and minds, who gives you a peace that passes all understanding, and then turns and says, and I've still got a purpose for you. I've still got a plan for you. That God would want to and continue to use us in that way. And so he says, I'm going to send you just as my Father has sent me. I'm going to use you in spite of what you might be experiencing, in spite of that which doesn't make sense, but because of my peace that is with you, my presence that is with you, I'm going to use you to do what my Father has sent me to do. We continue on God's mission through Jesus Christ. And what's so interesting about this is that Peter, he was in this room in John chapter 20. He's in the room with the disciples going, I get it. Oh, I'm listening. There's his wounds. I see it. And in the very next chapter, what is Peter doing? He's gone fishing. And, and what, what's being communicated in this moment is that, that, yes, I've seen his presence, but there's no way that God could ever use me because I denied him, I rejected him, and, and how could God ever use me? And so he takes himself and the boys fishing. And you know the story, Jesus shows up on the shoreline, right? And he's there cooking them breakfast. Peter sees Jesus, jumps out of the boat fully clothed and gets over to the shoreline to hug Jesus, to sit with Jesus. And over some sardines or whatever it is that they were eating, cooking breakfast, they have this conversation. And the whole conversation has to do with restoration to purpose. Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, I love you. Of course I love you. Well, then I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to be about the business, the purpose for which you're called. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? You, you know, and, and like Peter's getting a little bit agitated. Yeah, you know I love you. And a third time, do you love me? And almost with indignation, Jesus, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me this question? Because I'm restoring you not just to my presence, I'm restoring you to purpose. 
that you are called to continue the work that has started through me, that you, I'm going to send you as my Father has sent me. And so what we recognize is that in the midst of a world that's filled with anxiety and concern and stress and, and all of these kinds of things, God's presence is with us. But God calls us to his purpose even in the midst of all of those challenges. And the last thing that we see in this passage is that God then imparts his power to us. Look what it says in verse 22. And when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, we can live in a world that kind of goes, man, Jesus, he was kind of this historic figure 2,000 years ago, and I'm really grateful for what he has done for me. It's like past history, and I know because he did it, I know that I'm forgiven. And you know because we've talked about this so much around our church that we're not just focused on the fact that I get to be saved and somehow I get to go to heaven, and in between, I got to figure it all out myself. What Jesus is trying to help us understand through this story is, no, 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 I'm an ever-present help in time of need. I'm right there with you. I have called you to partner with me in my purpose for this planet. And you don't do it in your own strength, but God fills us with his own presence. He fills us with his own spirit so that we can accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish. And I think as we respond this morning, we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to, I think the band's here, um, we're going to sing a song, and, and I think it's really just a, a song of response for us this morning. Because I know that in a room this size, that probably many of us, maybe more of us than less of us, have either dealt with what I'm talking about this morning, we're currently going through it this morning, or I can guarantee you, at some point, we'll probably go through it in the future. And what I want you to hear this morning and what I actually want you to encounter this morning is the fact that there is a personal God who is near to you. He sees you. He knows you. But he doesn't just see you and know you from a distance. He's come to be with you and to give you the peace of his presence. See, the, the Bible, as we already read, Jesus came to give us peace, not peace as the world gives us, in other words, not peace that's defined by the absence of disruption or, or some sort of sense of tranquility. No, no, no. He comes to give us peace that's a person. Personal presence with us. And times, there's times when God will lift us out of that. There's times when the Lord will take us around it. And there's times when the Lord will take us right through the middle of it. But what he promised was, I'll never leave you. I will be with you to the end of the age. And because he is, we can live life a different way. We can live life on purpose and for purpose. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to stand. And uh, I'm going to invite, uh, and this might be with, uh, with people that came at, during the first service. We're going to sing this song. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you this morning to not be timid, not be afraid, but we're family and all of us go through stuff. And because anytime somebody comes to the altar, all, the, all that I see is somebody that, man, I want to I more of Jesus. I want more of the Lord. I want his help in my life. And so as we're singing this song, I want to invite the prayer partners to come to the front and join us here. And uh, what I want to invite you to do is just come to the front as even we sing this song and let us pray with you. Sometimes it's just a step of faith, isn't it? And something happens when we take that step. It's not just that we took a step. Something happens in our hearts. And so, Lord, 
this morning, even as we sing this song, it is well. Lord, we recognize that, Lord Jesus, we're able to sing it, not because of circumstance, but because of the person who is present with us. Someone who gave his life for us so that we could have peace, not as the world gives it, but so that we could have a peace that guards our hearts, guards our minds, surpasses our own understanding. And Lord Jesus, doesn't always, it doesn't always make sense in the circumstances, but Lord, it transforms us. And so Lord, this morning, as we sing this song, Lord, we respond not just in our hearts, but we respond, Father God, in our very lives, our own minds, Lord Jesus, to say, we want to give you that place of being the one, the Prince of Peace that comes to give us peace, your personal presence with us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.